Welcome back to Stop, 21 Stops to Reduce Stress and Enhance Joy. This is your host, Eric Parmenter. Today's episode is about stopping your worst habits. It's packed full of practical tips on how to form habits and how to break habits. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Chapter 7, Stop Your Worst Habit. The key to exercising regularly, losing weight, raising exceptional children, becoming more productive, building revolutionary companies and social movements, and achieving success is understanding how habits work. Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit. According to most economic textbooks, human beings are super rational creatures who know what is in their best interest and always act accordingly. This is called the rational agent model, which is central to the field of economics. If this is true, why do we buy things we don't need? Why do we do things that are not in our best interest? On a micro level, why did I eat raw cookie dough every afternoon my junior and senior year in college? While the rational agent model is useful for economic analysis when we examine the economy as a whole, it clearly does not correspond to how human beings behave in the real world. So why do people sometimes make decisions that are strictly not in their own best interest? Nowhere is irrational behavior more evident than in the study of habits. Many of us have or have had at least one irrational bad habit that is so deeply ingrained that it seems impossible to break. But you can find the strength to stop your worst habit. Behavioral economics is a relatively recent field of study which examines how non-rational factors like emotion or altruism influence economic choices. It also helps us understand other choices about health and habits. It applies the lessons of disciplines like psychology and sociology to explain decisions about consumption, investment, and other facets of economic life and human behavior. Choice architecture is the positioning of choices in such a way as to influence the decision in the direction that the choice architect believes to be in the best interest of the decision maker. Whether or not we know it, we are all choice architects. Choice architecture, popularized in the book Nudge by Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein, provides practical examples of how you can change the world for the better by leveraging behavioral economic principles. An example of acting as a choice architect is arranging your pantry to put the healthiest foods, like almonds, at eye level and the less healthy foods on a shelf where you won't see it or removing the unhealthy food altogether from your pantry. Kyra Bobinet, MD, MPH, tells a story from her own life in her book, Well-Designed Life, about how she became motivated to redesign her refrigerator. She observed her colleague, Dr. B.J. Fogg, director of the Persuasive Tech Lab at Stanford University, set a few clear glass containers in front of the participants in a team meeting. The containers were full of bright red strawberries and snap peas. He instructed the team to dig in and enjoy the healthy food from his garden. Kyra rearranged the layout of the food in her fridge as a way to change the snacking behaviors of her family. 
She put unhealthy, colorful food in clear containers at eye level in front of the fridge, switched the chocolate chip cookies to oatmeal raisin, and put them in the bottom of the freezer. After iterating a key design principle from her book on the method a few times, she began to notice the intended change in her family and her own snacking habits. The healthy food was easy to see and readily available. The unhealthy food was either gone or out of sight. This is a great practical example of choice architecture. In my Master of Business Administration MBA program at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, I had the privilege of taking a behavioral economics class in London that was taught by Richard Thaler, director of the Center for Decision Research and co-director with Robert Schiller of the Behavioral Economics Project at the National Bureau of Economic Research. He also wrote the book Nudge. One of the key ideas that struck with me from this field of study is the idea of the timing of rewards. Think about rewards. When I was a college student, there was a store called the Cookie Dough Factory directly across the street from the psychology building where I had many of my classes. I formed a habit of frequenting this shop every afternoon after class and ordering a cup of white chocolate macadamia nut cookie dough. I'd sit outside enjoying my sweet treat in the sunshine for about 30 minutes before I moved on to other activities. That behavior produced an immediate reward. The taste of the soft cookie dough, white chocolate, macadamia nut in my mouth was delightful. That delicious taste, the satiation of my hunger, and the pickup from sugar combined for my reward. However, there was a less obvious reward too. I had finished several hours of sitting in consecutive classes, and this was a break from the monotony. I enjoyed sitting outside, getting some fresh air, and clearing my mind. That transition time from work to play and then dinner before I sat down again for a long evening of study was rewarding as well. The benefits of not eating cookie dough are obvious. Raw eggs mixed with sugar and flour and chocolate are not particularly healthy. Sluggishness uh, could easily set in and eventually weight gain could result. I didn't care about those things at that time because the rewards of optimal energy and weight maintenance were not immediate. All I cared about was my daily cup of a sugary, sweet deliciousness. I admit it also helped that I was active athletically in college, so I quickly burned off my not-so-healthy diet. I have always had a sweet tooth and I still crave a mid-afternoon snack but now I reach for some almonds or a fruit smoothie. Habits are linked to cues, behaviors, and rewards. We often receive an immediate reward from acting on habits. When I came out of that psychology building at the U of I, I was leaving classes where we studied the teachings of people like B.F. Skinner. Skinner taught us the difference between immediate versus delayed reinforcement. Immediate reinforcement occurs immediately after a desired or undesired behavior occurs. This type of reinforcement has the strongest and quickest effect in controlling behavior. The longer the delay, the less likely the learning. At that time, I didn't make the connection between what I was learning in class and my afternoon cookie dough, but I was receiving immediate reinforcement.
So what habit do you have that is irrational and perhaps unhealthy? Is it smoking, overeating, impulsive spending, drinking too much, or watching too much TV? How do you break bad habits and form new ones? Charles Duhigg, the leading author on habits, provides deep insight into how habits are linked to rewards. I think of changing habits as a form of choice architecture. I encourage you to study Duhigg's writings for a deeper and more comprehensive dive, but here are some basic concepts boiled down from Duhigg's classic book, The Power of Habit, to help you design new environments or routines in order to break bad habits. First, identify the craving. What craving is powering your habit? Once you identify your craving, you can begin to think about cues and rewards associated with that craving. For instance, Claude Hopkins tried to sell Pepsodent toothpaste in the late 1920s by creating a craving loop. He described the plaque on teeth as the film and positioned advertising to say, just run your tongue across your teeth, you'll feel a film. That's what makes your teeth look off color and invites decay. Another ad featured smiling beauties and proclaimed, note how many pretty teeth are seen everywhere. Millions are using a new method of teeth cleaning. Why would any woman have dingy film on her teeth? Pepsodent removes the film. These advertisements relied on a cue, tooth film, that everyone experiences and is hard to ignore. Telling someone to run their tongue across their teeth worked as a cue. Do it now. How does it feel? Do you need to brush your teeth? The reward was positioned as the result of brushing your teeth, with Pepsodent, of course. The reward included the way you were trained by the advertising to perceive that using Pepsodent to brush your teeth would cause others to perceive you as more attractive. Here is the example of Pepsodent that Duhegg provides in his full model on habits called the habit loop. The cue is followed by a routine followed by the reward. In this case, the cue is filling the film on your teeth. The routine is brushing your teeth with Pepsodent. The reward is people find you more attractive. This habit loop can be created for any habit. Identify the cue, the routine the cue produces, and the reward, which in turn reinforces the cue. Cues can be changed and rewards altered, but that will not break the habit. If you have a habit of obsessively looking at your smartphone during meetings, turning it to do not disturb may temporarily remove the cue to check your phone. However, that action will not necessarily break the habit because the next time the phone is turned on, you will respond to the cue in the same way. Some rewards come in the form of altered brain chemistry, like the result of smoking a cigarette or drinking alcohol. Failure to break these habits can be devastating, but we all know from watching people smoke, even when they are dying from lung cancer, that breaking them is difficult. According to Duhigg, the golden rule of habit change is to keep the old cue, deliver the old reward, but insert a new routine. 
If you use the same cue and reward, you can shift the routine and change the habit. The golden rule has influenced treatments for many destructive behaviors. But if your habits are severely ingrained, you may need the guidance of a professional as you rebuild your routines. What is your worst habit? Analyze the cues, routines, and rewards of that habit and think about how you can replace the routines based on the same cue and rewards. It will take time to break an old habit. Willpower is never strong enough to achieve sustained results. I cannot cover the entire complex process of breaking bad habits in this chapter, so I will recommend reading The Power of Habit. Let's go back to my example of the habit of eating cookie dough after class. Much of the reward was a break from the exhaustion of sitting through class with a high level of mental concentration and the release of stress that came from letting my mind wander while sitting outside and enjoying the campus. I could have had a fruit smoothie, sat outside, enjoyed the campus, and experienced much of the same reward in response to the same stimulus. Again, the key is not to change the cues or the rewards, but the routine in between. Give it a try. I offer some caution here that your habits may be more serious than indulging in eating cookie dough every day. If you are trying to break a long-held habit, your bad stress may go up for a while as you build new routines. For example, if you end your evening with a nightcap or two or three, your sleep will be interrupted. When you switch your nightly routine to brewing a nice cup of hot chamomile tea, you'll likely miss your alcohol for a while. However, once you put a stop to your worst habit, your bad stress will eventually go down and emotions of joy will be evoked in new ways. Your long-term reward will be sweet. You will experience new freedom and a greater sense of well-being. Questions for reflection on chapter seven. What is your worst habit? What have you done, if anything, to break that habit? What ways could you change the routines of this habit without changing the cues or rewards?